What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's putting us. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fan. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast. It's your boy, Paul, aka Mr. What The Footy, your favourite podcast host, live and direct, direct and live. Big up and big love to everyone who's been listening to the podcast since I brought it back this year from listening to the one with David Webb to Dan Parnell recently to Del Vince and uh, the previous new concept that I'm kind of exploring, which is Paul's two cents. But yeah, today I'm back. I'm back with another edition of Paul's two cents. What we're exploring today is, or what I'm exploring today, is buying a Premier League football club, a trophy asset or growth play. And is Chelsea sell process has really got me thinking and sort of checking back to previous episodes with, with Lobby Pinto, who's a big sports financier, to the one with Daniel Beckley, who worked Universal Music. We spoke about the IP and licensing potential and commercial value for Premier League clubs and football clubs in general, to having Anna Mitchell, who's Chief Commercial Officer at Portsmouth, obviously owned by Michael Eisner, former Disney CEO, American ownership. It's just looking at this Chelsea deal on the table. It's, it's, it's really interesting to me. It's really, really got me thinking in the last couple of years since I obviously spoke with Laurie two years ago in the podcast. The podcast was actually titled The Americanization of English Football. And we're seeing more professional investors coming in, whether they've been looking at sort of what FSG have been doing, whether they've been looking at what KSC, Cronky Sports Entertainment Group have been doing, and they still they see real value. Just looking at the Chelsea shortlist of bidders, every single one of them has a has a, has some sort of stake in, in an American franchise, the Boston Celtics, the Cubs, the LA Dodgers, and American franchises are are valuable. If you look at the Forbes most valuable sports teams, looking at the other then I think there's only nine football teams in there. And there was actually in fact no English team in the top 10. We've got Dallas Cowboys sitting pretty with a valuation of 5.7 billion US dollars. From a sort of growth perspective, like I look at when I had Laurie on the podcast and we spoke and I remember, I remember us saying that if, if I could buy it at the time anyway, if I could buy any football club in the world, which football club would I buy? And I said, easy, Newcastle. I, I, I was saying to Laurie that, in a, that me and Laurie both agreed to be fair, but in a fantastic catchment area, that's number one. One club city. They've got one of the biggest stadiums in the Premier League, around about sort of 52,000 capacity incredible incredible history and heritage you think about 
I remember being being a kid and just players like Lauren Robert and obviously Alan Shearer and Espria and Ginola and just just Newcastle and what it what it actually meant and and even I had um, Neil Bamford on it and he was saying that Arsene Wenger's second favourite Premier League obviously after Arsenal was that was actually Newcastle. Uh, you think about Kevin Keegan the way they were playing and. Obviously, rest in peace, the late Sir Bobby Robson getting them into the Champions League. And you could just do so much of that football club from a branding perspective, from a storytelling perspective. And some of the words we're going to use and you're going to hear me say today are business terms. Because let's let's face it, whether we, whether we like it or not, as fans, we will love our football clubs, their community assets, their things on our doorstep, their things that mean a lot to us. But it's a business you've got billionaires, you've got professional investors, you've got shareholders investing into these football clubs. A return has to be made in some sort of respect. And yeah, Laurie and I were just just sort of talking about, about Newcastle there. So the sort of thing I'm sort of mulling over and perplexed about is if you're acquiring Chelsea for three billion, where is that sort of room to, where's that sort of room for that untapped potential? Where is that sort of leg room to make to make a return. It's actually interesting because I saw an article today in the FT where the guys, Rain Group, were actually looking after this transaction um, for the sell. actually believed that in years to come, Chelsea could be worth about 10 billion. And um, yeah, I just thought I'd sort of go through and just sort of, just some food for thought really, like where, where this untapped potential lies and why why American investors and professional investors see see an opportunity here in, in English football and, uh, and 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 with Premier League football. So just just sort of looking at it, I remember having Daniel on here and asking him the question of what does the music industry do that football could do better? And one of the things he mentioned there was intellectual property. He mentioned that record labels do a very good job of exploiting that's just sort of the term you kind of use it with IP rights, but they do a very good job of exploiting the intellectual property assets that they own. And I've always been a big believer that I don't think football clubs do this enough. Like if I take an example of, I remember going to America more than that, sort of like 15 years or so ago. And I remember like my auntie, she used to always come over from America to visit visit us here in the UK. And I always used to say to her, like, please, please bring me back like New York Yankee stuff and the hats and the clothes and the merchandise. And if you think about any sports logo, like if you were to think what is the most iconic sports logo in the world, you'd probably say the New York Yankee logo. And I, I'm no baseball, like massive expert or know a lot about it, other than like Moneyball which is one of my favourite movies ever and Babe Ruth obviously if you like who doesn't know who Babe Ruth is but I just wanted to have the the merchandise and I think obviously there's 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 some difficulties for, for a lot of Premier League clubs and football clubs in general from a merchandising perspective because they sign multi-million pound deals with big sports brands and there's carve-outs in terms of what they can and can't um, 
what they can and can't sort of produce this sort of similar to what they produce as well but i've just always thought from a ip exploitation perspective i've always think i've always thought that i don't think football clubs kind of do enough with this and if you sort of just think about football clubs sort of globally like Take, for example, even Arsenal, the club that I support. Nigerians, for example, fell in love with, with Arsenal because of players like Carney playing playing there. And you look at Manchester United and their sort of global appeal across the world is largely down to a lot of what Sir Alex Ferguson built there. And I've, I've just always felt that clubs don't really exploit the the IP that they have, like, okay, the Yankees, they're in a fantastic sort of catchment area in New York City with pop culture and entertainment culture. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. I've just always felt that from an IP and licensing perspective, a lot more could be done. And and potentially maybe that is where, where these American investors who are on the shortlist kind of see that untapped potential for Chelsea. They're, they're the Champions League winners. Hugely successful club over the last sort of 20 years. And potentially maybe they see an opportunity to to leverage Chelsea's intellectual property portfolio across the world, really. Like you you look at you look at how sort of football works and the data sort of tells us that that the more you the more you win, the more fans you attract. There's there's no surprise. I think there's, there's a sort of a stat whereby in sort of Far East Asia, people on average support something like 5.2 teams. And you think about, um, you think about like something like South Korea where like uh, Hyunmin Son is from. A lot of people just support Tottenham maybe as one of their 5.2 teams just because of the fact that Son, for instance, is... Um, a star within their country, but they might also support Manchester United because of the success that they had under Sir Alex Ferguson. Or they might support Manchester City now because they're arguably the best team in the world and have a lot of success sort of sort of on the pitch as well, really. So maybe that's where they, they're sort of seeing that untapped, untapped potential. Um, also as well, just sort of analysing and look at the, looking at the comparisons, obviously looking at how American sports franchises sort of operate as well. They're so big, so, so, so big on their stadiums and their arenas. Um, like, I, was, I think I saw that Dallas Cowboys, who are obviously the most valuable sports team in the world, $5.7 billion, which is just mental. They make around about, I think it's something like 100 to sort of $200 million a year just from premium seating revenue. <laughs> is just mental and also like non non nfl events um concerts like even you think of the new york knicks who i believe a third in the list um in forbes list as well they have one of the most iconic venues in the world in madison square garden you think about the boxing held there you think about legendary concerts being held there and, and they get a a nice sort of healthy chunk of um, of any sort of money generated from from renting out the venue too. So potentially maybe that's where these investors see that sort of untapped potential. I haven't even spoken yet about 
opportunities in crypto, for example, opportunities from a digital perspective of thinking about esports, something that Simon Gubich mentioned when he came on the podcast. Um, so yes, yeah, so maybe these investors are seeing something that maybe the rest of us aren't seeing. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. Is it, is it really a growth play? Is it really a growth play? You look at obviously the the broadcasting rights and attractive aspect of why a lot of investors tend to tend to like English football when they want to invest in English football, especially investors who buy clubs in the championship and in League One, for example, because they know that they can get promotion and work their way up um, to the Premier League. The, the sort of the riches there are, are extremely valuable. If you sort of look at the broadcasting rights that are going to be coming in for the next cycle, they're even for the first time <laughs> going to be more valuable than the domestic rights, which just shows how big the Premier League is as a sort of global global sort of brand. And even even though the current deal um, the current deal was actually eleven percent less than the previous deal the next deal that's coming in is actually going to be just slightly a little bit higher so it's an interesting one three billion pounds would i want to buy chelsea i don't know and, and that's the reason why i asked the question of uh, of uh, is it a trophy asset because is it something that you that you just want to have within your portfolio because these football clubs don't come on the market so easily, especially clubs like a Chelsea, Man United, and Arsenal, Liverpool. So it's an interesting question. Interesting, interesting question. But I'm keen. I'm keen to hear what you think. Are Premier League clubs a trophy asset? Are they a genuine growth play? Where do you see the untapped potential? that clubs can leverage to, to become more valuable and where can they extract value? Um, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. Hit me up, hit me up. Um, keen to hear your thoughts as always. Um, just my personal opinion, if I was sitting on three billion or had the opportunity to leverage three billion through financing, would I buy Chelsea? Probably wouldn't, probably be looking at iconic sleeping giants maybe in in the championship or or league one that have a lot of football heritage um investing a little bit in there and working my way up to the premier league building a sustainable model um like teams like brighton and crystal palace have done and then slowly slowly just work my way up um and sort of do like that. That's just my sort of my sort of personal opinion. Um, don't shoot the messenger. But it's interesting though. It's interesting because I remember having Laurie on the podcast, and I, I don't know whether fans like it or not. But effectively, a football club is a brand, and I remember Laurie saying that they need people who work at Chanel, at LVMH, and big global brands working within there because ultimately that's that's where that's where the value is and that's where these professional investors are gonna 
try and extract value. And the question is, does that come at the expense of fans? Um, it's a lot of questions. A lot of questions like support Arsenal. We have highest ticket prices in world football, highest match day revenue generated. I contribute to that. Um, so does it come at the expense of fans or how do you sort of balance it really? But I'm I'm keen to keen to see see how this this all pans out. Already we have around about 40% of Premier League clubs have an outright American owner or um have American minority interest. And yeah, we're gonna see more and more run it. As I sort of mentioned at the start, these are professional investors, these are smart people, savvy people who own American franchises and they look over across the Atlantic and, and, and they look at these iconic Premier League clubs and they think, why are they so cheap? <laughs> so I think I want to delve into deep and explore a bit more. I think it is clear to see if we look at the background of a lot of these investors, they do a really good job of licensing and exploiting the intellectual property of the US franchises that they own. They're very, very big on having big, large stadiums and arenas whereby they can leverage the premium side of things. They can use the venues for non-sporting events to, to also drive revenue. And yeah, they're going to bring over interesting new ways and creative ways. Like we're even seeing Mark Cuban, um, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, he's accepting Dogecoin. Um, for tickets and merchandise um, for the Mavs. So they're bringing new ways over. And I think it's interesting to see in the coming years, how clubs sort of diversify because we're, we are seeing commercial revenue sort of creeping up and slowly overtaking sort of match day revenue, sort of broadcasting revenue as well, largely. Um, so yeah, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think and uh, peace and love every time and have a blessed week. Just some food for thought, yeah? Don't shoot the messenger. Just some food for thought. Love. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's win in the league. Let's just win this to appease the fans.